words can be weapons, right? We need search no further than the latest reality TV series, The Real Housewives of Who Knows Where, (laughs) or the internet trolls leaving hurtful comments on YouTube videos, or the president's Twitter feed. Words can disturb and divide and cause real damage. In a much less explicit way, everyday people can also wittingly and unwittingly weaponize words. We capture individuals within the confines of gross generalizations. We shove people away with the interior recitation of unfounded assumptions about who they are based on the activity in which they are engaged or the clothes they wear or the music to which they listen or the vehicle they drive or the color of their skin. We can use words in a defensive posture too, protecting ourselves from attack, hiding our true feelings, repeating popular opinions so that we fit in, negating our real experience, quickly justifying ourselves whenever we are challenged so that the conversation never goes too deep. However, we know that words don't have to be weapons, tools of war pointed toward offense or defense. They can be used to communicate, to connect. They can be used to share stories and insights, to raise awareness and enlighten, to heal and not to harm. Beloved conversations, meditations on race and ethnicity invites us to do the latter. And this is not to say that the kind of deep sharing beloved conversations calls us to will be free of pain. It is not easy, in the words of the facilitator notes that you heard in the reading, when we come to understand how harmful narratives about race live within and among us and shape our actions and our worldviews. It is not comfortable to look critically and compassionately at the ways in which the congregation's culture, practices, and norms might support and perpetuate white supremacy Culture. It can be difficult to critique what is and even a little unsettling to think about what could be when we are quite happy with the way things are. I get that. I know. But this work calls to us not simply because of a program like Beloved Conversations, though that helps to crystallize the need and provides immense hope that there is a way forward, but calls to us through our principles, affirming the inherent worth and dignity of every person and justice, equity, and compassion in human relations. It calls to us from our mission to deepen connections by nurturing spiritual growth, practicing justice, and inspiring joy. It calls to us through our covenant. Engaging with this work over the weekend caused me to revisit the words of our covenant, which we read together earlier in the service. In search 
of the tools we need to engage difficult, honest, sometimes painful, often challenging conversations. If I am to risk being honest, if I am to make myself vulnerable by sharing my real experience with race and the sometimes distorted and embarrassing lessons I have absorbed from my family, my peers, and the culture at large, I need to trust the people with whom I am communicating. Further, if I am to be open to listening to perspectives different than my own, perspectives which may challenge my own assumptions and beliefs, I must have respect for the other person. Trust and respect. Which is where our covenant begins. Holding this community dear and inspired by our common principles, we covenant to respect and trust each other. I have come to see the next line, though it is important and powerful, just a little disturbing in its structure. Let me explain. We covenant to accept our differences and shortcomings. Accept our differences and shortcomings. Nothing wrong with that. I just think it's too bad those are in the same sentence. See what I mean? Accept our differences and accept our shortcomings. We need to be clear that they are not the same thing. Differences are not shortcomings. Difference is not deficit, is the phrase I heard this weekend. It is all too easy for me to see the ways that you are different from me as shortcomings on your part. Right? The underlying belief is that, of course, if you could, you would be just like me. But as I am a magnanimous person, I will accept, forgive you for the ways in which you differ from me, and trust that you will do better in the future. Which means become more like me, or accept that my way of being in the world, or approaching a challenge, or structuring worship is the best way. So if I could write that line of our covenant over, I might split it into two lines, just so there is no confusion, and say we covenant to forgive our shortcomings, we covenant to honor the differences among us. Let's change it. (laughs) Uh, All in favor, say. uh. (laughs) Wow, I didn't expect that. Okay. (laughs) Because part of the work that Beloved Conversations calls us to, part of the work that we are called to by our mission of deepening connections is to, first of all, recognize differences. To recognize that some of the things that I imagine are inevitable, unarguable, unquestionable, self-evident truths are not necessarily so. They are products of my particular experience and perspective, which does not necessarily make them good or bad, but does necessarily make them relative and local rather than absolute and universal. 
That awareness is a first step in the work, allowing us to expand our welcome beyond welcome to the way we do things. To welcome, share with us what you see and experience here from your perspective. There is a reason that one of our songs of welcome, Enter, Rejoice, and Come In, which Kate Troop and I always loved calling the UU Polka. <laughs> Enter, Rejoice, and Come In also includes the line, Don't be afraid of some change. I think that change refers not only to the way the person entering this place may experience change, but the way the person may change this place by entering. Difference is not deficit. You'll probably hear that phrase a few more times throughout the year. We covenant to practice patience, compassion, and empathy. Wow. That line flies by so fast, but there is so much here. If we are to loosen the stranglehold of racism and learn to nurture relationships of resilience, courage, skill, and radical imagination that can help us build the world for which our hearts yearn but our eyes have not yet seen, I so love that line, we must practice and practice and practice some more these skills, patience, Compassion and empathy. Not only toward others, but in relationship to our own lives too. I don't mean giving myself a pass. In fact, I mean quite the opposite. I mean being willing to explore, unearth, examine, reflect upon my own experiences without judgment, but in total honesty. And I know it is not logically possible to have empathy for myself, as empathy means, generally speaking, the ability to share the thoughts and feelings of another, to imaginatively put myself in the place and experience of someone else. But I find that to have empathy, I must first own my own experiences. I must first get real about my own life. Because I find that it is all too easy to be judgmental toward another, most especially about those niggling things that I have not quite accepted about myself. And even harsh judgment turned inward is not particularly helpful. It is another way of distancing myself from my own experience. It is a way of telling myself I have moved on. It is again a weapon to push others away or to defend my own conception of myself. But what if I were to simply engage honestly with what is true about myself and my past and my beliefs and my prejudices and my attitudes and my assumptions? If I never claim them, I will not have the capacity to change them, no matter my good intentions. If I take the time with patience and compassion to understand my own experience, I can much better understand another's experience unfiltered by the rapidly rising inclination to judge. Rather, approaching everything with curiosity and openness, that takes practice. 
We covenant to listen deeply, speak truthfully. More practice, right? And preparation and space making for these sorts of sacred encounters. This is our work and it is not passive work. It is life changing, transformative, relevant, revelatory, revolutionary work. Those fears that Parker Palmer expressed in the readings, those fears, the fear that every meeting of divergent truths is a win-lose situation, the fear that we may lose our very identities in the battle, those fears are real and pervasive in this world, and they are killing us, literally. This kind of battle using words as weapons That does not take courage. It is inspired by a soul-suffocating fear. But we do not accept that here. We are going to lay down our swords and shields. We ain't going to study war no more. We believe in beloved conversations. We claim the courage to be vulnerable, to risk honesty, to welcome transformation, knowing that the self is not a scrap of turf to be defended, but a capacity to be enlarged. And we vow that no one ever leave this place defeated and ashamed because amidst the hard work of community and the many dangers, toils, and snares of our daily lives and the sorrows and struggles that inevitably visit us, we have also set ourselves a mission to deepen connections by inspiring joy. Thank you, choir. I sign many of my emails and articles in grateful community. I know that that can seem perfunctory after a while. After you see it repeated over and over, let me assure you, it is not. Each time I type it, I am reminded of my gratitude. The event this weekend was an amazing example of people here coming together to plan, prepare, and perform an awe-inspiring act of generosity. Welcoming Mark and Rhonda, the co-facilitators of the retreat, and people from the five other congregations, all of the congregations in our cluster, to engage the work to which we are called, to reach toward that vision of congregations that we sang about this morning where race and class unite as equal persons in the search for beauty, truth, and right. It was an amazing feat, setting up home hospitality, arranging meals and projectors and supplies and all the many details from the coat racks to the charging stations and the moving of tables back and forth and the flow of people from social hall to sanctuary and back again. And throughout it all, a spirit of welcome and friendship and connection. And I got to receive so many thank yous on your behalf. And I was able to say, yes, the people here are amazing. (laughs) And I got to say, you are welcome on your behalf. And I was reminded once again of what I mean when I say in grateful community. And I know that that work goes on in ways big and small throughout the year. 
in tasks that are daily, in other events. And the work that was begun was made even more powerful by the fact that we actualized what it means to be an association of congregations, reminding us that we are not in this alone, reminding me of the words of Wayne Arneson in our hymnal, Take Courage, Friends. The way is often hard, the path is very steep, and the stakes are very high. Take courage, for deep down there is another truth. You are not alone. We are not alone, and we are stronger together, and we have much to learn from each other, and this event spoke to me of, and I know that I'm pulling our theme from last month forward, but so be it, it spoke to me of possibility. And that possibility rests heavily on the theme for this month, trust. When we can trust ourselves and one another, possibilities emerge. We gather today to receive the blessings of trust. May the relationships in this room help us notice we do not walk alone. May the quiet we share help us connect to and trust our deepest self. May the music offered help us feel and hold tight to the restorative rhythms of the world. May the words offered remind us that each of us has a voice, one that must be trusted and shared. And when we come to understand and honor our differences, we can truly join together in common purpose, building for tomorrow a better world than we have known today, living for each other to show to all a new community. So may it be.